Welcome to Shed Life. Hello, Nix. How are you, mate? Hi, hi. I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. How's um, lockdown treating you? Oh, God. I, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we just had a conversation about me. Um, we did. So, I don't like lockdown conversations. Right. And I feel like it's the new weather conversations. It's the new small talk. Um, how's the weather outside? Yeah, it's raining. It's it's the same as oh yeah. How was how's lockdown treating you? So I don't know how I feel about lockdown. Lockdown for me has been good. How I feel about talking about lockdown mm. is different. All right. Well, how's it been good then? Um, I've got to spend a lot more time with family mm-hmm. and um, it's been a journey of just self-discovery i'm not trying to sound deep Mate, you can sound as deep as you want on the pod don't worry <laughs> not trying to sound deep but um i have i feel like i find myself um i'll go into more details later sure sure but the way i started uh, lockdown was same as everyone else skeptical not sure what's happening I, I remember just coming back from dubai from a holiday with my best friend and um I thought this was going to be the best show of my life. I've just turned 25 and um, I was going to travel, uh, go out with the girls, do everything that I wanted to do. And then lockdown happens, which wasn't bad. Didn't know, well, initially, what did Boris say? Three weeks? Yeah, that was a kind of the first um, review they would have in it. And then it became every three weeks. Yeah, mm. so three weeks. Like, mm-hmm. cool, I can do this for three weeks. Work from home for three weeks. This is like my dream. Yeah. Um, work from home or being in lockdown? <laughs> work from home. <laughs> Didn't really know what lockdown was going to be about. But True. yeah, work from home. Um, got to spend a lot more time with my family. Great. I was working out, going for my runs, doing my workouts, cooking. The weather was good as well. The weather was June, decent. Most of lockdown was pretty decent until we hit like June, I think, right? Yeah, see, my memory's terrible. Mm. I, can't, I, can't, I couldn't tell you, but... But... <laughs> <laughs> um, then I reached a point where I was like, okay, this is going on for too long. I miss my friends. I want to go out. Um, but I can't. So what am I doing in life? Am mm. I... I'm not travelling. I'm not doing all these fun things I wanted to do as a 25-year-old. What am I doing? Yeah. Um, it was this. It was a path of self-discovery in a way that I had to find a new vision. Okay, how can I be stuck at home in a family home, not just by myself? Mm. You know, you have to act a certain type of way when you're at home. Sure, sure. You know, you can't just you can't just be staying up till like four in the morning. You have to mm. get up. You have to do your dishes. Yeah. You have to clean. You have to be normal and presentable and you can't just stay in bed all day. Also, I'm working from home. So my day starts at 9am and it doesn't end till 5.30. So there was some sort of structure, but there was no motivation. Um, So that took me on a path of a few books. I started reading a few books, a few uh, self-discovery books, uh, motivational books, whatever you want Mm -hmm. to call it. Um, I started off with... uh, the monk who sold his Ferrari. Oh yeah, by Robert yeah, yeah. Sharma. Read it? No, 
but I just had you a, started like you read yeah like trust me mate I, yeah, I, I read books all the time and don't worry <laughs> uh read that it was great it was um it helped me okay so mental health wise let's just get that out of the way it wasn't it wasn't great you know it was very In what tricky. sense what do you mean um again you know when you have really big really high expectations of one year of your life i've only been single for eight months and so you know turning 25 and i found this new freedom i thought i'm gonna do great things this year what because you're single now because i was in lockdown yeah i was mm. I, you know the the metaphoric lockdown in life right in in a relationship yeah, yeah. i was okay. out of it and sure. i just thought you know this is just me now this is raw me um so you can go traveling basically bear in mind like th the relationship was serious it was like marriage kind of serious yeah yeah so yeah it was lockdown so it was lockdown but yeah. now you're free to travel the world again metaphorically yeah in the i think when you're in a relationship you um phase away from a, a lot of things right <laughs> especially <laughs> Why are you laughing so much? <laughs> Never mind. Uh, it's a serious conversation. Yeah, true. All a conversation true, true, true. in the shed is serious. Yeah. But laughter is allowed, so um, crack on. Yeah, laughter's <laughs> great. So, yeah, like, even my own <clears throat> friends, I felt like there was a point in my life where I wasn't as close to my friends. Bear in mind, I've known these people, like, 15, 20 years of my life, you know? So, um I was phasing away from a lot of things and this was my time to get back to life, to me, to Nick's. Um, Nick's, yeah. <laughs> and then lockdown happened again. Mm. It was daunting. So you can imagine the implications it had on my mental health. Mm. Um, well, that's something that's been sort of uh, quite well towered, right? In the sense of in society, mental health struggles um, we've talked about a lot in this pod, especially recently, where people, maybe not necessarily from lockdown, but they might start feeling it uh, in the form of cabin fever and stuff like that. Mm. So is that the kind of um, feelings you were having or was it something potentially a bit different? So I always knew I suffered from some sort of mental health. Um, when I was back at uni, it came in the form of anxiety. I was always so scared of going to the nurse and um getting actually diagnosed um and that was because how I, did you get diagnosed Sorry, i never did oh, I you never, never did. did okay but i knew what it felt like you know by a med student right so you know what anxiety is uh -huh. you know what depression is you have the internet um you know what a panic attack feels like and for who for those who don't know it's when um you can't control your breathing you can't control your emotions in any way. You're crying without even knowing why you're crying. You can actually pass out, which I've done in the past, by just not having control of your breathing because you you can't breathe. Um, did you know you were having a panic attack during those moments or did you think, uh, or were you just clueless what's going on and obviously, like I said, you just passed out then? It, there were times where I didn't know. I always thought I was a drama queen. <laughs> I always thought I knew I was an, an emotional person, so I just thought, "Oh, just this is just Nick's being a drama queen." Nick's being Nick's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nick's being Nick's. Mm. Um, 
um, my emotions are heightened. I need to control myself. I need to relax, whatever. And then it came to a point where this became more, it, it became more serious to the point where the first time I did pass out, I realised that I could have passed out for a while and no one would have noticed. And then I realised that it was the smallest things that were triggering it. It could have been um, me texting my mum and her not texting me back in the next hour. Or it could have been as adverse as doing an exam, which I actually ended up getting 90% in. Well done. Thank you. And thinking that I failed it and actually having a full-blown panic attack in the car because of just anxiety and just feeling like you're not good enough, you know? So it, it, it came at a point where it became really bad, where I knew this is an issue. And I reached out to my friends. I remember this one exam, the one that I just told you about, I did really well. Mm -hmm. I thought I didn't do good enough. Mm -hmm. um, thought I was going to fill my degree. Um, <laughs> looking back, it's just so insignificant. Even even if I filled my degree, looking back, I wouldn't have cared. You know, as a 25-year-old that I am right now, I don't care. Mm. But um, I called my best friend and I and she calmed me down and she helped. And from that moment onwards, I knew that something helps, that this person I just called has actually helped me. Right. And when you know something has helped you, you go back to the same thing. It's like, you know, anything in life, alcohol, drugs, sleeping, whatever helps you, right, with anxiety. So I knew I took, I took the healthy option and I was lucky enough to know that this is the healthy option. Other people could have downed a bottle of vodka, you know? Mm-hmm. Or smoked something, or gone out, or I don't know, whatever. There's so many things you can. Well, they turn to their inhibitions, right? Because it sort of is like escapism. But exactly. Yeah. It helps them free their minds of maybe, like you said, the turmoil and troubles that they're feeling. So. Yeah, and coming back to my point, I was a biomed student. I knew what this was. I could see. I could pick up on the signs and the symptoms, and mm. I knew, in this moment, I need someone to talk to. So I was lucky enough to do that lucky enough to know that, have that education. Other people, not so much. Um, so at that point, from that point onwards, I knew that I had to start speaking to my best friends, vent. And if I'm having a panic attack, that's okay, as long as I'm on the phone to someone because they couldn't physically be there. Um, but when I entered lockdown, I realised that this was different from what I experienced back, in lock, uh, back at uni. This was different in a way that um, it wasn't panic. It wasn't me just crying without a reason. Mm. It was more depression. I was sad. I was chronically sad. I was always sad. And the people around me are so great. Like my family are so great. My dad would cook chicken and he cooked my favorite, favorite meals. Um, my sister would do and buy me things that she knew I'd like. My mom was being extra nice to me. And, you know, it's hard for moms to be do that. So, um, so wait, so, sorry to buy in, but I'm just wondering, um, when you're talking about all these people, um, almost, not in a rude way, but almost um, treading, they, tread, well, treading on eggshells. That's what I'm trying to say. Did they know what was going on with you? Or It's like... Did they sense it or did you open up to them about it? My family, very briefly... 
again, what sense you told them or again it was a it was a next moment right it was a moment where next being next i'm sad you know you guys don't understand so they've picked up from this from when maybe your whole life being your family and even i didn't pick up on it my whole life so i can't tell you i haven't actually had this i haven't had this i haven't had this conversation with my family to uh -huh. know at what point they knew mm. i was struggling with this I knew at uni because I spent so much time alone at uni. I don't know what point they picked up on, but there was a, there's a big difference between me and my sister. She's seven years younger than me, which is a massive gap, mm. right? So she's just about an adult now. And she acts very differently from me. She, her emotions are very much in her control, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, you know a difference between someone who has mental health issues and someone who doesn't. And I think my parents were good enough to pick up on that. They know, they may not put it down to, they might not put a word to it, they might not say anxiety or depression, but they knew she's different. She's more emotional. She can't control herself at some point. Um, things get to her a lot faster, you know? Yeah. And they a were lot, good at doing that. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people would say, um, I, I think... Uh, again, from what I've heard, people might see, say like, oh, she or he is more sensitive, right? Just because sensitive. sensitive. That's the word. That seems like a kind of a buzzword um, yeah. for not really masking the real underlying issues, but, well, kind of masking, I guess, but just saying, okay, we got to treat her or him a bit differently. And like we said earlier, tread, tread on eggshells a bit carefully. Doesn't mean that my parents think I'm her. less able no, of course, yeah. They don't think, they don't think I'm less intelligent. Mm. They don't think anything less of me, you know? It just means that my mum knows that there are days that I will stay in bed past a certain time. And if I've stayed in bed past a certain time, I'm having a bad day. That means I can't find the energy, the motivation within myself to get myself out of bed. And that may seem like laziness to some people. Mm -hmm. And that could be misconceived easily mm. and probably have been like i've probably gone through that but there are days where i really have stuff to crack on with at work in my personal life and i can't get myself out of bed because my mood doesn't allow me to or i'm having it may it may <laughs> it was my birthday it was my 25th birthday and it was meant to be like such a good day right i couldn't get myself around to enjoy myself and I really tried, but I just couldn't. So why was that? I mean, looking back again, I don't know how long ago this was. Was it recently or? Um, it was back in April. Okay, so during, well, during, during lockdown. lockdown. Okay. Yeah. So I guess that, that might have had some sort it of was. play on it, right? Yeah, like I said, I think when I went into lockdown, I realized that this is more than anxiety. I mean, you know, even for me, even for someone who understood mental health, I thought depression is such a deep word. It's so profound. It's so deep. I mean, I can't be depressed until I'm diagnosed with it. I can't be depressed until I'm on tablets, right? Mm. Wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Wrong. yeah, yeah. Um, you can be depressed you, and you don't have to be chronically depressed. You could be depressed for a week. You could be depressed for a day. Just I'm pretty like, sure everyone's been depressed in that sense. Yeah, it's like, like you know how, it's like, you know how you have cold for a week? Mm. You could have depression for a week. Absolutely. And it's about acknowledging it. It's not about, oh, I'm depressed for a week, cool, I'll just stay in bed. Because if you stay in bed that week, 
that depression will lead on to next week. Just like, say, if you have the flu, if you don't take, if you don't go to the hospital, if you don't go to the doctor, if you don't get your antibiotics, that infection will lead on to the following week and it could end up giving you pneumonia. It could end up actually taking your life eventually. That's what depression is. That's the sad side of it, yeah. And if you don't address it that one week that you're going through it, it could be any trigger. It could be a breakup. It could be a fight. It could be home. It could be as small as... It could be so small. Like you said, it could be so small. It could be... It doesn't have to be anything majorly life-changing whatsoever. It could be the smallest thing that triggers someone. And that's the thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it can easily be that. Absolutely. And just address it in the right way. Um, That's all I'd say. But I think I personally, looking from the outside in, not not saying um, uh, as someone who's like 100% like, you know, sunny gym kind of fella, but... (laughs) (laughs) Who is? (laughs) Exactly, who is? But um, everyone has their down, like, sort of moments, right? Yeah. But I think the worst stigma around it is what you said against like the medicine. Like you, you're saying if you're depressed, you think a doctor number one will diagnose you, and number two, you get pills which will suddenly miraculously make you feel better. I think that's completely far fetched because I think there is not enough evidence and information and knowledge, number one, about these emotions and these drugs that people prescribe to you to get rid of these emotions. I think, if anything, they have a detrimental effect. Absolutely. Like, there, there's so many other ways. I'm not, I'm not talking as an expert whatsoever, but there's so many other ways to improve your mental health. And you talk about one right at the start when you said you read this book, and it might be some, something as simple as this, but it's kind of like learning this information from someone where it changes your mindset a little bit. It gives you that little tweak, adjustment in your maybe daily routine or something, and it changes how you view things that when you, when you want to wake up, like you said, but you can't. It changes that. It makes you jump out of bed. Not obviously happy as Larry, but it will give you that at least platform to start building your day, right? Yeah, yeah. It could be. It could be a book. It could be a podcast. It could be. It could be a conversation with your, like you said, your best friend, your parents, anyone. It could be just relating to someone. You know, there's so many people that are so open about their mental health, and there were so many people uh, would you know, social media or just in real life, I would listen to them and be like, oh, so that's what depression's like. Oh, but I don't, I don't suffer from that. I suffer from anxiety. I get, I get a bit paranoid every now and then and I cry. Mm. Oh, it's not depression. It was, you know. Um, and I still haven't been to the doctor, you know. But do you feel you need to go to the doctor? I don't. I really don't. You, Because you seem like quite knowledgeable in the fact of you understand what you're going through you're quite um you evidently realize you don't need pills to help yourself you found books and conversations with people close in your life that made you realize you kind of understand what you're going through and you kind of understand not how to get out of it but how to manage it because that's the thing is that there's no quick fix there's not a a simple a pill that will save you because it might help you on one day what will help you on one day might not help you in two weeks or two months or two years? I think right now in uh, the world we live in, we are living in the best time that we can to address our mental health. If there is a day where I can't get myself out of bed, I know I can call people and I can say, hey, I'm feeling low today. 
I can even let my manager know. You know, I'm working from home at the moment. So I can even text my manager and say, hey, I'm feeling low today. I'm still going to log on or I may, I may not log on. But this is how I'm feeling. And this is the same as you going through, like I said, a flu. Mm. You know, at your workplace, this should be treated with the same respect amongst your friends. When you're having a low day, when you're going through depression, when you're going through a day when you cannot get out of bed, where your mood is not sitting right with the way you process your thoughts, you should be treated the same as when you are ill, when you have fever, when you have a cough, you know, or even worse in that aspect. Mm. Because you can still think straight, right? When you have a fever. Yeah. Somewhat. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think right now it's, for me, what helped me is addressing it. For me, what helped me is being vocal about it. Um, we didn't plan about talking about this. No, of course not. But we've gone off a tangent. It, and I'm quite enjoying it only because why not? Because well, mate, you know what I'm going to say? Something like to, to, to people who actually follow Shed Life, right? People who follow Shed Life. That's um, there's been there's so many interviews and like conversations we've had, and it's sort of ended up with mental health. And the the thing is, if you take a small pool of data, such as this podcast, and the amount of people that talk about it, not necessarily going for it, but just talking about it and understanding it, it's so it, like you can just imagine like sort of extrapolating that onto the whole population of the globe or your country, whatever it may be. It must be so prevalent. Do you know what I mean? It, uh, so prevalent. And I kind of understand. And it's a matter of just speaking about it, right? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> it's yeah. nuts. Absolutely Especially nuts. with everything that's gone on in the last couple of weeks and months. Months, yeah, absolutely. With the coronavirus, um, with the lockdown, mm. with um, people being isolating with, you know, just people well, that, like- they, that they don't like to spend time with. Okay, yeah. You know? Well, no, that, 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 that could work. Easily could happen, you can yeah. easily live in a house with someone who you don't like to spend time with. Mm. That happens. Um, with the Black Lives Movement, um, it, with the Yemen crisis, mm. which has touched me profoundly over the last few weeks, everything plays a part. And you think that, oh, it's social media, it's Instagram, and I can just flick through it and it's not going to play on my heart. But if I'm honest, if you're human and if you're if you're genuinely in touch with your feelings and you, i'm emotional i told you guys i'm emotional there's nothing uh, wrong with that there's nothing Literally wrong, wrong with it. I, see as an asset i th- i think this is my best quality mm. this is how i sell myself i'm an emotional person i deeply relate to matters i deeply relate to issues i take it personally i make it my own and i make it a point to make it better same with the black lives movement when, I, when it first blew up, I just said, never will I ever just look over racism. Just, just not look, but you know, sometimes it's in front of you. I'm a, I'm a person of color myself, mm. but um, it's in front of you and you just think, oh, well, <laughs> this happens. Because you're used to it, right? You're used to it. You're used to certain certain people being treated a certain type of way. Your world, your world view has been built on how you've been treated ever since you were a child. Absolutely. Right? And like you said, if you're a person of colour like yourself, you have been that view has been built up over time and it's been ingrained in your head. So for you, like you said, if any passing comments which to maybe Tom, Dick and Harry, let's assume they're all white, 
yeah. for example, or whatever country they're from, their native color, if you like, or creed, that that won't bother that will bother them heavily. But for you, you've been adjusted to deal with it. And is that the right way to go about it? Or I'll give you an example, um, and then I'll ask you, answer your question. But um, so I've lived in London for majority of my life. And I have also, I went to uni in Kent, okay? So there's a big difference in um, the way you're treated as a, as a co- person of colour mm-hmm. in those two areas. So in London, I know I will take no bullshit from someone. I know that if I get discriminated against, I can make a scene about it. If someone on the bus or the train calls me a name or acts a certain way about me, I will scream at the top of my lungs because this is London. You can't do that. But when I was in Kent, this used to, I used to work at B&Q. This used to happen all the time. All the time. And I just thought... Well, well you get called names or... Not names. Act in a certain it, manner? It was... Um, it, it's just a certain manner. You know? They, you, you know. Okay, if you're a person of colour, you know this. You don't need to be called a name. You know when person's looking down upon you. That's it. That's a really, really good point, man. You don't Honestly, need to be that is a really that. good point. You don't need to know anything. They don't need no. to say a word. But the whole problem is, in your mindset, is that you know you're being looked down upon, right? Absolutely. And this, this is, I'm not, I'm not degrading any uh, movements that are happening or anything. But my issue is, I don't see how that can change. When you're being looked, upon, uh, look, see, looked down upon... See, if I had acted the same way in Kent, the way I act in London... I don't know. Maybe I would have gone punched up. Maybe I would have gone fired would have from changed? B&Q. But what would that have changed? This is what I'm trying to say. What I was trying to say is, if you know you're being looked down upon, that is ingrained mentality in your head yeah. since day one, yeah. right? There's nothing that can change that. Literally, yeah. like apart from maybe years and years of, I don't know, psychotherapy or whatever it is, do you know what I mean? Or a change in society so drastically at the click of your fingers. That cannot happen. This is why I understand the anger around it. And like yourself, I understand that personally myself too. But when you feel you're being looked down upon, I don't see a way out at all. Like at all. I think there's so many things. I mean, okay, way out is a sticky one because we've been trying to seek a way out for years. Just look at the Black Lives Movement. Well, that's over 400 years. There you go. We've been trying for so long. It's not the way out. It's Maybe it's time for us to change the way we think. And I think that's where the switch has come for me. The switch is not, oh, they're looking down upon me. Damn. The switch is, oh, well... They're stupid for doing that, and I'm not going to take it. I need to show them I am not to be down, looked down upon. Yeah, that's a good point. Very you know? good point. Yeah. And I may not have, you know, you you don't have to call me words. You don't have to call me brown or whatever. Um, black, brown, yellow, black, brown, anything. whatever. Green, anything. Yeah. Um, but I know I'm feeling that way. I'm going to make it known to you making me feel that way. I'm going to make it known to you. And that may be the company that I'm working with. I may tell my company, hey, I don't think you're doing enough for brown people. You know, What would you want them to do, though? Just out of interest. My cause... company, personally, great. Huh. There's a lot of companies um, I have seen, I have been in, I have worked for, that um, you don't see your CEOs or your higher management as brown people. They're all white. 
And this might this might come across as, oh, well, you're seeing people as black and white. You're seeing people as black, brown, white. Um, if you're not racist, then that should that shouldn't be a matter to you, right? But that's a matter to me because there is a prejudice. There is a difference. My manager right now is a brown 35-year-old woman. That's very empowering for me as a 25-year-old brown woman that works in that company because I feel like I can achieve what she's achieved because the opportunities are the same. From once my managers are all white and they're all men in corporate suits, I don't think I can ever reach that. There is no ladder for me to climb. I don't even see... I don't see them embracing me or my culture or my sex for that instance. That's where the difference comes. And that's when you reach out to your HR department and say, hey, why are there no managers that are brown or black or of color or of any of my ethnicity? Why? And what do you expect them to do? Do you think they will turn around and start hiring these people of different ethnicities and stuff? Or do you expect them to wait for a more media-driven um, sort of campaign until they realise, shit, we've got to change our ways, which is kind of exactly what's happening now and just what's happened through through the history in the last, uh, you know, 20-odd yeah, years. I expect, I expect the acknowledgement. I expect them to educate themselves. So I expect them to see what I'm seeing from my point of view, from my shoes, and I want them to see she's right. You know, as a white person, you will never look around you and be like, oh, there's no brown person in my team on, on the board of directors or whatever. You will never see that because you see everyone the same as you. But when you're the only brown person on that table, you will feel that difference. Mm. Yeah? That's a good point. Yeah. So I need, I need them to see that, hey, oh, she's right. There is no brown person on this table. We need to bring some brown people on board. Let's look into the company. Let's see who's doing really well. But what if the brown people just aren't cut for the job? You really think so? <laughs> no, I'm just saying for, for that particular job. Just, just, just. That may be. Same. Honestly, that may be, and that may then reflect through the media campaign that you're talking about, which is, hey, we're not racist. Hey, we support your movement. We support the people of color in our company, and we love them. And we want them to grow. Right, let's let's open up jobs for them, you know. Let's give them a better opportunity, you know. Sometimes it's very much who's gone to Oxford, who's who's got this under their belt, who's gone that, and, and let's be real, who's got that under their belt? Majority are a certain color, you know. And it's a matter of saying, it doesn't matter. You don't need to be from Oxford to be on the board of directors. You can be from University of Kent. <laughs> Big up. <laughs> but that's all I'm saying, you know. Um, it's about opportunities, about acknowledging it. And if my if, if I was uh, working at a company where all, all the CEOs or the board of directors, everyone high up was white, I think... The, the what I'd like from from them is acknowledgement is um, um, for them to say we understand this movement we understand it we have educated ourselves we are not as oblivious as we were three weeks ago 
you know, you know, when you talk about education, right? Yeah. Education is hundred percent where it needs to start because what you're taught in schools, especially in Britain, for example, it's very different view of what happened in uh, in history. Yeah. They they give a very tunnel vision view of what they went through in society and history, yeah. right? Of how the all conquering British are the greatest, but they didn't. They failed to mention how they came across that and how, why there are so many, let's say, coloured people within society, and that leaves a big loophole in terms of immigration and people like that who suddenly, you know, coloured and this that, and the other in your society, and you're thinking, why are they here? We're British. We should all be Caucasian and you know, look like Europeans. They don't realize the reason why people are here in the first place. So when we're talking about education, this should start from the schools, like hands down, hands down. But what is stopping people who have been around for 67 years, maybe people's grandparents, you know, people like that who have been brought up in a completely different way, what's stopping them teaching their children a completely different viewpoint? Because this is what I'm trying to say. This is, it seems like a vicious cycle in the sense of the media, the news, the movements, whatever's going on, there might be something that you're being told and you might think, okay, this is different. I've never heard this before. Then in your home, in your four walls, in your family, in lockdown, you're being taught, maybe directly or indirectly, these people are not blah, blah, blah. They don't, belong. Shell, they don't belong. A child of a racist will be a racist. But you don't have to be racist, though. This no, is what I'm trying but, to say. I mean, if, if, if you've been taught, if you've been taught to look at people of colour a certain type of way, that, oh, they, they work beneath us or they are not from our country. It may not be beneath us, but they are not from the country. They don't belong here. Um... This is our country. This is not they. They've come here on boats. <laughs> I don't know. Mm. There's all sorts that can be taught to kids, and that's what gets instilled, you know. Um, but I remember. I'll give you an example. I remember being in year four and being taught about global warming. I remember going home and telling my mum about recycling. Mm-hmm. I, I remember telling my mum that mum, we have to recycle because. The world's going to end. Um, Mum, we have to um, look, switch the lights off, you know. Um, we have to do this and we have to do that. It's because my school taught me. My mum had no idea what recycling was, honestly. Um, and now she, she, she recycles. It starts from kids. We educate our parents as well. That is true. That's a very good point. You know, we definitely educate we parents, do. older so, generations. So for 100%. those kids that are taught from their families, from their parents, that there is a difference between coloured and non-coloured people, they can go to school. They can yeah. go to school and they can actually educate themselves and come back and then educate their families. Yeah. No, that's actually a really good point. But I think, I think yeah, that's it, the nail on the head. Um teachings at school i think that's the thing that needs to change the most because the most thing the biggest difference of what i learned about history regardless of your race religion creed whatever is what got taught after school at school there's a very set syllabus and curriculum that you need to follow and that's obviously uh, been managed and portrayed by the government or whoever it may be but to actually get 
a more sort of wider lens viewpoint of the world and society and why people look like this or act like this or talk like this or believe in this. You need to be taught that from when you're young because that's when you, that's, you're, you're a sponge when you're younger. You need to learn this. So, I mean, I don't personally, again, like I mentioned, I don't personally believe that will change everything. It might change in 200, 100, I don't know, 50 years, whatever. But in terms of current society, I think personally that's too late. I think like you, we talked about when you said you have a personal mindset. So now it's different. It's not like you're expecting the behaviors of others to change because that's something people have been advocating for for generations. But when you have an ingrained mentality in your head that you feel you're being looked down upon, that's so difficult to change. You cannot change that with, like, with the click of a finger. And, and this is why I'm so grateful for something like Black Lives Matter. I'm not black. <clears throat> I think I've already disclosed I'm brown. Yeah. But... But do you have to be black to follow? You don't. That's the thing. This is because not is the not, point not, not in rude way. I, know I don't need to be black to embrace black people. But you don't have to be black to also suffer racism. I get that's it. I get it. We're talking no, about the the pinnacle in 100%. sense of we're talking about four hundred years, and that that seems to be like um, the Holocaust of racism, which it is. But there is a lot of races and creeds out there who also suffer. I'll tell you about my best friend. Um, uh, so she has been a she initially grew up in west london which is like like oh yeah where's that <laughs> <laughs> you know southall <laughs> heard of that before um oh shit southall southall not heard of that one <laughs> <laughs> so she was very familiar with you know seeing brown faces around everywhere um then she moved to gloucester gloucestershire mm-hmm. right and it was very different okay so they had a um a family off license there mm. and it was known as the packy shop mm. every time she tells me the story it gives me goosebumps because i've never heard her tell the story without her crying mm. and you can imagine the impact this has had on her as an she's a 25 year old adult now yeah. but she was called that kid who owned a packy shop as a five-year-old that's fucking insane man that's insane. And the problem is that happens so regularly in society. She doesn't need to be black. She just had to be different to what was around her. And she was. Mate, you could be growing up as and a... And can I just say, she sorry. wasn't even Paki. She was, she was not Pakistani. She doesn't was matter. It doesn't exactly. matter. It, does, it doesn't matter. But my point is, they don't differentiate. They don't, they're not educated enough to know the difference. They will just generalize you. But that's the thing. Growing up in America, for example, you could be... Uh, uh, oriental sort of um, uh, Latino you could be black you, you could, could be, be Indian you could but the be thing anything. is they've got so many qualms with all these kinds of people yeah. over history whether it's like a Korean war or in World War 2 the uh, Japanese or like war on terror after 9-11 anything like that and you're suddenly stigmatized to be the enemy and the people will the, the public who live there who might look similar to people like that they'll they'll have to take it They'll have to take the brunt of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's very rare to have a European who's stigmatized like that, a Caucasian European, because they're the, what would say, the conquerors in the um, modern world, isn't it? So it's difficult. It's very difficult. So, yeah, I get what you're saying, the Black Lives Matters movements and all that, um, 100%. But there's definitely um, all races which are not, I would say, white, which I'm struggling to say, but it's true. Yeah. Yeah, and it's true. And 
it's a struggle that we need to get out of, you know. It's it's a struggle that I'm going to let go of moving forward. I'm not going to be scared of saying I'm not white, but I belong here. And it's unfair for me to not be treated the same as you, if you are white. And that doesn't go to show that. It, just, it doesn't say that... Um, it doesn't say it doesn't say they're no. the enemy either. No, I've got right? so many white friends, exactly. and I love it them. It doesn't mean that's they the enemy. They embrace me and my culture, and uh, we all know, you know, like how famous Curry is in in UK. It's it's fine. It's all great. I can embrace that. What I need is that people educate themselves on this matter. You can see me as a brown person. You can love my culture. You can love Bollywood. You can, you can, you can, you know, it's comical to you. Um, but I need you to understand the implications as well. I need you to understand every time that I feel small or we get called the packy shop or we call, get called something else. Or we, get, we get pulled over and die and get a knee to our neck and can't, can't breathe and suffocate and then die. I need you to understand that and how that feels and the changes that need to be made in this whole world, in societies, um, in people's um, mentalities to improve that. Because until you don't understand it, your mom's not going to understand it, your grandma's not going to understand it, your kids are not going to understand it. That's like four generations already. You know? Mm. No, you're spawn. You're spawn. You're definitely spying, man. Like, yeah, it's a difficult time we're living through. All right, so next, we've talked in great depth about two very, very key, important this, uh, sort of issues that exist in society currently. I want to know your opinions and thoughts about how you can actually, not per se, like, conquer it, but what can you do as an individual to start countering it and, or manage it or, you know, make a change in society whether it's mental health or racism how would you go about that yeah because they're two very you know i mean spread out things yeah i think from i mean they are very spread out things i agree but they have an overlapping effect on an individual they definitely did to me so um for someone who suffers from mental health when they hear about uh racism and they can relate to it and they know it exists and they have been subjected to it that impacts their mental health even more especially in lockdown. So it's all, it's all just comes down to the same thing, you know. It all contributes to the same detrimental effect. So how can you come out of it? Um, personally, like I said, going back to my books, I've been reading a lot. Um, I read this one book. It was called um, The 5 a.m. Club. Going back to The 5 a.m. Club. Oh, yeah. Rob, Rob, Robin Chalmers? Sure. Oh, Robin <laughs> I've told you about Oh, have you talked about it? Oh, so, okay. you know, <laughs> don't act like you read. <laughs> um, Robin Sharma. And uh, he, it was very different. I've read a few motivational books. This was different in a way that it gave me more of an, more of a practical way of dealing with it. It's all well, well and good to say, hey, you know, don't think about it. Hey, you know, you can just meditate. Hey, you know, you can change the way you think. I know I can change the way I think. I know one minute I can be crying and the next minute I can put on Beyonce and I can dance and I can <laughs> just have a laugh. And yeah. that happens. That happens to the best of us. But the way I have changed it is by actually implementing a routine in my life. And it's a drastic one and I don't expect everyone to implement such a drastic routine in their life. Um, but my day starts at 
5 a.m. in the actually quarter to five in the morning. Um, at 5 a.m., I'm already at my house and I'm running for about 20 minutes. After 20 minutes, I get back, I meditate for about 10. Then I write in my journal. Now, the journal writing is my favorite because I unload any negative thoughts of the day in that journal. It could be the fact that I'm profoundly moved by, by and affected by the Black Lives Movement or I'm very upset about everything that's going on in Yemen despite of me um, actually um, contributing and, you know, um, sending money out there to help. But still, it still affects you. Um, so what can you do? You can't. You can't take that baggage throughout your day. You're not going to be productive. If I'm on a client call, if I'm trying to do something at work and all I can think about is, oh, well, this happened. And I'm upset about this. You're not going to make movement. You have to unload it into a journal. That's what I do. I also write in my German journal everything that I want to achieve. In your German. In my journal. German journal? <laughs> Mind you, I've had a few glasses of wine. <laughs> All right, my German. <laughs> um, everything that I want to achieve for the day, you know, mm. um, and whether I achieve it or not, it's subjective. You know, I, mean, I don't have to, and that's okay because I'll address it tomorrow. <laughs> I'll address the things <laughs> I didn't achieve tomorrow, and you know, we'll reflect, we'll reflect on that. But the point is to um, not hold anything in because even if. Even if uh, you have great friends, they're not going to be available five o'clock in the morning. They're not going to be available. They're not going to be available twenty four hours around the clock. Um, my journal is a nice place to just dump it all. Yeah. Um, and um, I do some yoga again. Subjective. Um, I'm, I like to stay active, so I like that. But it opens my body up for the day. Um, from eight to nine p.m. I do personal development, which is like person. I do. I'm doing a master's degree at the moment, so I read articles. I'll do a bit of coding. I'll work on my thesis, um, which is nothing to do my, with my actual professional job. And 9 p.m. I'll log on for work, working from home life. So you 9 know, 9 p.m. I'll log on. 9 um, p.m. or a.m. 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 Sorry. <laughs> Shit, how much wine you had? P.m. <laughs> <laughs> had a few glasses of wine. <laughs> um, yeah, 9 a.m. So mm. I log on and um, start work. I have a list of everything I want to do, kind of like time timetable mm. of everything I want to do with my day. Try to follow as much as I can. Um, and I will get a lot of, I don't know, meditation, self-reflection, everything I've just spoken about already yeah. in my day. I go sleep by 10. Again, not everyone needs to do this. If you like to stay up and watch Netflix, that's cool. <laughs> um, just be, just have some time to yourself. Okay, that's all I'll say. Have some time to yourself. Um, have some time where you can reflect on everything that you've taken, all the information you've taken in. Instagram gives you so much information. It gives you so much information that your brain can't, deal with and process take some time in your not, day. That, not a lot of that is uh, a lot of that is not also good information good information a lot of that is also like a junk a lot of junk, junk a lot man. of shit yeah Do you know i mean like so you need to sit down for shit. about a few minutes and be like where does my attention need to go 
you know how much does Kylie Jenner matter over the Yemen crisis who, who? <laughs> who the fuck Good is point. that <laughs> genuinely <laughs> Goats, come on you know um, okay yeah. and I genuinely that's don't. a lie genuinely don't Kim know Kardashian. okay I know her she's married to Kanye West you know but nice oh okay. she's not no she is <laughs> alright is that not is that like, alright <laughs> But, you know, like, just prioritise the kind of information you want to take in. Our brain is limited. Um, Taking everything, taking the important bits and um, don't don't take in the bullshit. Um, And just think about everything that you can do as a person. Be realistic, you know. You can't change the world in a day. But what can you do? For me, it was really important that I educate people around me, educated my parents, um, my aunties and my uncles and even my grandma, you know, who doesn't even speak English, but I had to educate her in my mother tongue and be like, hey, this is there's this thing called Black Lives Matter and this is what's happening. So, you know, FYI. What was her response to that? Just out of interest. Because like you said... She lives in India. She's never seen a black person in her life. Well, there you go. That's what I'm trying to say. So what yeah. was her response to it? Uh, so her response to it was, oh, yeah, that happened when, you know, the British took over our country. And there you go. You know, it's relatable. It's re- You don't need to see a black person they to know, know that yeah. racism exists. You don't need to be in England to know that racism exists. You need. To, you don't need to be in Kent to know that you are being looked down upon. It's about acknowledging it. It's about knowing it and educating yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Nick's. Um, we're going to leave it there. I know you're tight of time. Um, thanks so much for coming on, though. Uh, we've had some really, really deep discussions and yes. I think stuff which will be really, uh, really hit home to a lot of people. Mm. So, honestly, thank you so much. Um, any final thoughts from yourself? Um, well, I've had a great time being here. And I just want to say whether this is a podcast or whether this was just a normal conversation with my friend. It's, it's just, definitely a podcast. It's definitely. I know, this, <laughs> I know you're going to release it. <laughs> um, but you're in the shed. This is a podcast. Uh, yeah, this is hashtag shed life. There you go. Um, but I just want to say you can have these kind of conversations with people without being recorded, without being out there. Um, it just helps you get a better understanding of yourself as a person, also the person you're speaking to, also just detangle your thoughts. I always have um, this image of me when I'm sitting down, when I'm struggling, and I've got a lot of thoughts in my head, and I imagine a pantry, and uh, Kylie Jenner's pantry, and you know Kim <laughs> Kardashian's pantry for, for people who do follow them. Um, just a pantry of jars and, you know, labeled jars. And I put my thoughts in each jar and I pick and choose. I pick and choose which jar I want to unscrew today, which topics I want to relate to today or I want to address today. So definitely have conversations like this, make a pantry and day by day, unscrew jars, speak about those topics, think about those topics and think about how you can make an make a difference in this world and it might be small but small changes every day every day every day every day will lead to a massive massive impact even if that means that one day we're going to have grandchildren who aren't going to think about race as a color they're not going to think about black white brown they're just going to think human beings which is great so yeah Mm. that's it very well said all right nick thanks so much for joining us um everyone at home 
Thanks for listening. Stay safe and see you soon. Bye-bye.